Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. I'm sitting in the rather salubrious uh, surroundings of the Oxford and Cambridge Club, and I'm joined with uh, Juan Senor, uh, who is a, a partner at uh, Innovation Media Consulting. Uh, he's much more than that, though. Uh, he uh, he speaks six languages. Uh, he's uh, travelled all over the world. He used to be a award-winning um, media correspondent, war correspondent, host of the Carl's Lions, and he's just come back from Antarctica, which is probably the coolest part of all of that. It is, yeah, it was insane. Yeah, I just turned 50, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I just turned 50. So, so I, you decided to become Indiana Jones. No, so I, I, I got to go. <laughs> yeah, so I, I got to go to Antarctica on a Russian scientific ship. Right. And that was a superb experience, really was, was superb. And, and now you've got conclusive proof that climate change is actually just a myth, correct? Absolutely, yeah. No, I wish, I wish, I wish. It was extraordinary to see uh, the impact of, of climate change, of global warming in, in such a beautiful, pristine area. We went to the Antarctica Peninsula and we, we saw some extraordinary um, uh, bits of Antarctica that people tend not to go to. And we had extraordinary encounters with whales. Really? At one point, yeah, we had about 56 whales swimming around the ship. And we got to tag them, we got to trace them and um, and also uh, we, we got to see evidence of penguin migrations because temperatures going up so they're moving further south so species of penguins that were there in the past are not there anymore the whales migration patterns have been affected as well and um, and of course it was um, late late in the summer and yet um, the the temperature it was not what it used to be when you talk to the crews and the people that have right. been there for so there's been tangible changes absolutely tangible change and you know they say Antarctica is, is the barometer of planet Earth. Yeah. The barometric pressure and everything else is, is a continent is extraordinary. It's a continent twice the size of the United States, twice. And it's the coldest, the windiest, the highest, and, uh, and, and by far the most uh, diverse in terms of, of, of what you will encounter there, from catabatic winds to incredible species that have not been discovered. So. And it's reserved <laughs> for peace, for peace and science. So it was really lovely to see, in spite of all the damage we've done to planet Earth, uh, such a pristine part of, 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 of this planet that we, we, we are exploiting so much. There's a certain nice symmetry, um, I guess, with your interests in endangered climates and environments, with your your work interests within endangered platforms and, and media, indeed, indeed. given that you spend so much of your time trying to, uh, trying to resurrect and uh, keep alive uh, traditional newspaper organizations. Yes, yes, that is my main job, Mike. Yeah, uh, and it's, uh, it's a fascinating job. It's, it's a beautiful job. Um, uh, I am a partner at uh, Innovation Media Consulting. We yeah. started 35, well, I didn't. I joined in the last 15 years. 
years. But it started 35 years ago, and since then we've helped thousands of newspapers to, to, to survive and to thrive. I mean, 35 years ago, did newspapers actually think they had a problem? They did. They had all kinds of problems still. There's always, uh, journalism has always been in crisis. That's what people forget. It's, it's a, it's a, by definition, it's, it's in crisis, in constant crisis, and it thrives on crisis. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it's a conflict profession. <laughs> but of course, the last 25 years, uh, the digital disruption has completely dislocated the profession and completely dislocate, dislocated the, the business model that sustained the editorial model. Uh, and it's, 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 it's been in a very dark place. We're beginning to come out of it. Hmm. And there's now a clear and very profitable way forward but it does take leadership, it takes change management, and it takes vision. And very few newspapers have the courage to make the changes. They, they, many of them live in the past, as I say. Many of them are paying for a very expensive funeral. They still believe that the paper platform uh, needs to be um, the main platform. They still see it as the king platform. Would well, used to be a fairly predictable way of ma making money. I mean, Warren Buffett used to famously love buying newspapers because yeah. if if you bought it in a town with a rising population, you could be pretty certain that advertising revenue was going to go up in circulation. I mean, yeah. It was kind of a, it was literally a license to print money. Yeah, yeah. And you know, news media is very appealing. And of course, Jeff Bezos has bought the Washington Post. Warren Buffett has bought more newspapers. And for billionaires, uh, billionaires love to buy newspapers. Yeah, so like, that's, like, that's about vanity, not about money. Well, it's about power more yes, than vanity. Yes, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> so, and, and it was famous, Jack Welch uh, used to say, you know, and, and he told me in an interview, he said, look, I used to, you know, uh, built uh, nuclear power plants and, uh, and turbines and so on as the CEO of GE. But when I got invited to the White House versus the president of NBC News, because GE owned NBC News. So yes, uh, for a lot of billionaires, uh, having uh, news media is very powerful and is very influential. So they're very interested and they are the ones pushing some of this transformation. But, but let, let's, I mean, you know, let's put aside the power of news organizations to one side and just think about paper itself, because I guess a lot of people would almost think it's quaint that paper is going to survive the digital age, but that is actually the tangibility of that medium is actually something you still believe in quite passionately, right? I do, I do. I believe paper is eternal. I don't believe paper is the platform of the future to rebuild your news business, but it is part of the mix. It needs and it needs to be reinvented today as a bridge to the future. Still, still today, today, this very date, 87% of the world's newspaper revenues come from print. Yeah, not not the, the digital revenue is not as big. So, so it's very important to recognize that print still has life in it. And the reason I say paper is eternal is not because of nostalgia or because of romantic reasons about paper. It's because human beings, we, we're tangible. We, we, we learn through touch. Uh, we're tactile beings. And, and we've suffered a lot of digital fables in, uh, nowadays. You know, one of them, remember, was the paperless office that began in the 1970s. And people said, oh, you know, one day, very soon, all our offices will have no paper. That has gone by the wayside. The other digital fable at the moment is that news wants to be free. Uh, and this is the biggest mistake newspapers made, to give it all out for free online, because we were told 
the web needs to be. But they free. also tried to they experiment with the idea of kind of you know even using blockchain to charge per article, and people didn't really like that either. Yeah, but the formulas are emerging. The for, formulas are coming out. There's micropayment. There is obviously a meter model. There is a paywall, a hard paywall, the subscription. There, there are many many models. And and what has happened in the last two years is Netflix. Right. And Netflix has had an entire generation of younger people paying for content online regularly. It's not a lot, and many of them share the account, but for those five dollars, five euros a month, share between two or three, people are now willing to pay for content, yes? So this has now changed dramatically, and people are, are now willing to pay, not just for movies, for television, but for Spotify, for music, the premium version. And now they're beginning to pay for content, and that's very heartening, very discouraging, and essential, essential to the transformation of, of, of the news business. You know, um, there are some brands which you can see there's a clear path through to paying for things like the New York Times, Financial Times, they're marquee global brands. But if you're a small, regional or local newspaper, so creating a paywall is not going to, you're not going to have much chance of survival. Yeah, correct. I mean, our advice is not to create a hard paywall. We don't believe in hard paywall. Our formula is freemium. And we believe that even in local affairs, there will be content that people are very interested in. So you have a lot of breaking news and commoditized content that is free, and then you create a premium space where people pay for it. For instance, uh, town hall, journalism, you know, uh, proceedings, what's going on with planning permissions, with uh, school funding, school uh, right. So uh, you know, hyper local hyper local content that is um, that requires journalism and invest local investigations about uh, money from uh, from from a mayor's office that has disappeared and so on. So all that that affects you is very important. You know, we call it uh, last mile journalism. Journalism that really affects your community. Um, you just told me, Mike, that you're buying a property in London, which is wonderful news. But I'm sure. If you found a source of news that talked about planning permission in your block where you live, um, you would be very interested in paying a premium for that. Absolutely. Uh, so, which um, which newspapers have you seen that have, uh, I guess, not the traditional um, big marquee brands, have managed to find a a way of a path to profitability using some of these new platforms? Sure. Um, La Vanguardia in Barcelona is a good example. Really? That's where I'm from, obviously. <laughs> and they're profitable and they're, you know, growing. And um, they're not charging for content yet, but they're finding a, a way forward. Uh, Il Fatto Quotidiano in Italy is a good example as well of a paper that is already profitable hmm. and, 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 and doing quite well locally. So, yeah, these are two, two examples of, of very local papers that are, are doing very well. Um, Svenska Dagbladet in, in Sweden as well, and they are charging for content. They have a, a freemium model, and right. they're using paper as a bridge to the future. That is the key thing. The key sentence to, to, to really summarize all this is that you have to become uh, digitally sustainable before you become print unsustainable. So, so you need to have a business that works pure digital first, and then print becomes an adjunct to that? 
Correct. You, at the moment, most of your revenue comes from print. You have to supplant that with revenue from digital. Right. The problem is that with digital, you get huge, multi-million audiences. It's unbelievable how many people you can reach with digital. It's a dream of journalism yeah. to have. But they're hard to commercialize, right? But it's very difficult to commercialize. Why? Why? because we have been commercializing them just with display ad revenue. And display ad revenue has become the domain of Facebook and Google. They have a duopoly globally, which is very pernicious to this industry. They've cornered the market and it's not enough. And we were told, be free and display ad revenue will give you enough revenue to cover your journalistic costs. Mm. It doesn't, it won't, it will never happen. So what's the solution? if I cannot rely entirely on display ad, uh, ad revenue, uh, reader revenue. You gotta get people to pay for content. Somehow, some way, there is a way for each brand, local, hyper-local, national, international, global, um, that there is a way, but we must, must uh, really begin to charge it. And, and get back to that equilibrium, you know? We yeah. started this conversation talking about uh, newspapers <coughs> never having had any problems in the past, and, and they've always been in crisis. Uh, but 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 they had a balance. Uh, almost fifty percent of the revenue came from single copy sales; people paid for the paper, mm. and the other percentage came from advertising. On the weekend, that was especially classifieds. Especially classifieds. I, I mean, exactly. I, I don't know if I told you this, but I, I used to work in the newspaper business. Oh, I, right, I didn't. I know. used to work uh, for the Murdochs at News Limited. Oh, brilliant! And I was down at Holt Street, which yeah. was originally where they printed these things and put yeah. them on trains. And uh, I remember when I joined, there was a big controversy because they'd suddenly moved to being a dry office. Yeah. I, I didn't even know what that meant. And I, I realized that all the old journals had bottles of scotch under the desks. Right, right. indeed, indeed, yeah. <laughs> we, we had an experience a few years back, and uh, I will not name the client, but I will name the continent. It was uh, around Russia. Right. <laughs> and the first thing we had to do to get the newsroom to work properly, it was to ban alcohol. <laughs> and uh, the following day, they locked us out of the newsroom. The said no way we cannot produce this newspaper without a bottle of whiskey every on night on the basis of journalistic integrity alone absolutely <laughs> so yeah but, but, but I, I remember well, I mean one of the big mental hurdles there was that the business had just made so much money for so many years on on classifieds you know which almost the success of those platforms made it very difficult for them to accept other market correct yeah and it's um I, I always say that uh, a lot of newspapers and a lot of executives that I meet with and editors, unfortunately, they live in the past. And, and you need to let go of yesterday's assumptions to see tomorrow's possibilities. Oh. And you know, one thing I like to tell them, look, if you accept change, you never grow old. And newspapers are old. Many of them have been around for 170 years, 200 years. Uh, the modern newspaper, which is founded by model, I mean, Joseph Pulitzer and William Randall Hearst, was founded 175 years ago. So, 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 it, 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 they are old products. And uh, but unfortunately, um, even though they represent vanguardism and they represent the very latest ideas. Uh, some editors are very reluctant to change. They just want, and 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 our message to them is, is 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 to change without changing the basics, the the foundation, the journalism. The journalism should never change. But I mean, the economics has to change in the sense it that if you're to. designing a newspaper that's digitally sustainable first, with paper as a nice add-on, then the whole, even the way you design your newsrooms and you know how you staff it up. I mean the. Uh, digital scale doesn't have the same 
um, economics allow you to hire the hundreds and thousands of people that used to have to run a normal newspaper. Correct. Yeah, but you know, when, I, when, when, when we talk about uh, print as an add-on, let me, let me specify what, I, what we mean by that. We believe that print uh, will become haute couture, and we believe that digital will become prêt-à-porter. Let's talk about fashion, Armani. Armani has beautiful dresses. They go to the Oscars every year, and they spend $150,000, $200,000 on these beautiful dresses. Um, and they're the, 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 you know, the, the, the premium brand. They're the, the, the flagship of the entire house of fashion. And then comes Armani um, Collezione, and right. then comes Armani The diffusion brands. Yeah, and then, and then, but Armani makes his money with the jeans, Armani jeans. But without the dress at the Oscars, you cannot make money for the Armani jeans. We believe print will become haute couture. We'll believe that um, the circulation will be less, but particularly in the weekends, people will want print because right. it's lean back. So it's an experience good. It's, it's a lean back, it's a tactile experience, and we're seeing hard evidence that this is true because in the digital age, for instance, Vogue has increased its pagination massively. You have Vogue magazines in, in America, in, mm -hmm. here in the UK, that are 370 pages. Yeah. The, the, the editor's note begins in page 75. <laughs> it's, like, it's extraordinary. So people do want after being on digital devices all day long, on a weekend, or at certain times, to lean back and have a physical experience. So, so we believe that um, the circulation run of newspapers would be much less. Instead mm. of running printing a million, you might just print 200. But there'll 000. be high, higher CPM. No, it'll be, you will charge much more for it. It'll yeah. become a premium product. So if, if you look at this logically in the history of communications, is um, the web has moved <gasps> into the space of newspapers. Newspapers are now moving into the space of magazines. Magazine. Magazines are moving into the space of books, with bookazines, or with these huge edition magazines, like I mentioned Vogue, with 370 pages. And books are moving into the space of art collectors, where people buy books and they spend $75. And have books died? No, no. But when you buy your Harry Potter, you buy it on hardcover, and you spend more money because your paper experience is lesser, but higher, and you're willing to pay more. So, 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 you know, it's not just that paper is abandoned. Paper needs to be reinvented to be that. But then you really, really have to make your money from digital. Yes. Yeah. And and w w in that model, Mike, uh, you can pay for twice as many journalists as now because there's so much money to be made on digital if you do it that way. And of course, the, the, the demonstrable case of all that I'm talking about, and everybody's talking about this, of course, is, is the New York Times. The yes. New York Times is already <clears throat> close to three million subscribers. And I think the best thing for the New York Times was their arch enemy, Donald Trump. Every time he, yeah. he says that they're failing, yeah. more people subscribe. Correct, correct. That's the Trump bump. But, but that <laughs> won't last. That won't last. You, you do not build a business on, 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 on a political positioning. Um, you build a business on, on, a, on a great logic. And they took the plunge. And everybody told them, oh, yeah, but you're a journalist paper. How are people going to pay for the content? It's happened, and it's happening everywhere, and, and it yes. will continue to happen if you have a good product. So today they have 1,300 journalists. It's an extraordinary operation, and uh, their target is by 2020 to make $800 million in terms of revenue from digital. It's an extraordinary amount. This year alone they've only made 450. So they are very confident, and it's working. 
and uh, but but you must have you, you must take the step and look at the end of the day Mike if you're in the news business if you're in publishing and people are not paying for content you shouldn't be in publishing mm. you should what are you doing well, you, you, you're publishing those free tourist newspapers, basically. Yeah, not just that. It's worse <laughs> than that. It's worse than that because I like to talk about voyeurism versus journalism. You know, we, we reach the, the apex of secondhand journalism, mm. of clickbait. Right. And then what happens is... Because if you're in the pure attention game, you have to do whatever correct, it takes to get attention. Correct. So you end up with news brands that on digital, it's just basically images of, of, of naked girls or pretty cats or silly videos about crashes and so you appeal to the lowest common denominator because your objective is to get traffic yeah. and through that clickbait and that traffic you're hoping that digi digital display advertising revenue will come but it hasn't come it won't come and it will never cover your journalism and actually in many ways the, the rise of fake news wasn't a political conspiracy it was a logical outcome of economics I mean, if you're, you know, if you if you if you if you're making money through clicks, essentially, you, you need to do whatever it takes to get people's attention. Correct, but I mean, the rise of fake news is 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 basically the reinvention of propaganda for the digital age. But it's always been there. Propaganda has always been there. So I'm not surprised by the rise of fake news. But let's call it what it is. It is propaganda. So, so, so you really see it more as weaponized uh, conspiracy as absolutely, opposed to just... Absolutely. Uh, Facebook, Google, uh, all these wonderful open platforms and they should remain open and they should be wonderful the way they are. Uh, I have nothing against their platform proposition. Mm. It's wonderful. It's enriched democracies very much. But it's open to manipulation. It's open to exploitation. And we, we had never seen... We had never been able to expose the propaganda that has always existed. In the past, uh, there was easy to deny, it was easy to deflect, but now it's so clear who is behind it. I mean, I, I have um, I've met somebody recently who came out of Russia who for a few years worked in a troll house. And she was telling me that there were up to 200 people working in a building and they all had language skills and they were writing fake stories using fake logos. And is this FSB? On Facebook. <laughs> of course it is. So <laughs> these are the people behind these troll houses. Right. And, um, and everybody has them, by the way. Not even the Chinese always. have them. Of yeah, course yeah. they do. So, so for, the, for the first time, we've, we've seen it, we've been able to expose it, and of course we're shocked by it. But it's always existed. What do you think the solution is? I mean, is it smarter algorithms? Is it Facebook hiring fact checkers? Is 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 journalism? Is better journalism? And of course, is the uh, the alliance that exists at the moment that is being built between Facebook and, and proper journalistic institutions? But even these proper journalistic institutions are increasingly becoming politicised themselves. Well, institutions, political, um, journalistic institutions have always had a slant, yes. but you know it's exposed and it's declared. So you know that the New York Times is centre-left, and you know that uh, the Times of London is centre-right, and you know the Guardian is extreme-left, or whatever you want to describe it. So, But it is declared and is right. obvious, and you as a consumer know what I'm reading, I can see through the filter. They're not claiming to be totally independent, and in fact, a newspaper is doing a good job if it's 
in constant opposition to whoever is in power. That's right. the point of a newspaper or a news operation, to challenge authority, to expose abuse, to give a voice to the people who've been um, uh, uh, abused by the system. So this is the job of journalists, to give you facts. So, so if they're not generating controversy, they're not doing their job, basically. Uh, if they're not generating controversy, they're not challenging authority. So you know, no, so, no, so, no. so you know, when, uh, when, when whenever newspapers, so 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 you know, in in, in the age of uh, a left-wing government, then the newspapers on the right are accused of being biased and so on. Of course, it's, it's an easy. Uh, politicians have done it for millennia. You mm. you kill the messenger, because you are trying to what what Trump and and his likes are trying to do is 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 don't trust the media. Trust me. I mean, do you really trust Donald Trump or any politician? You know, at a more granular level, in the last for the last fifteen years or so, news organisations have been trying to experiment with what telling stories in the digital age might mean. I mean, they tried putting things on mobile, and they tried in, like digital infographics, and I mean, yet still that kind of fundamental element of a well-researched story told well. Yeah. Um, still seems to be the persistent format that even though it's distributed in a multiple format seems to be coming back. Yeah, yeah, but, but uh, there are fantastic and wonderful experimentation going on at the moment. You know, I like to talk about the new uh, digital narratives, the new frontiers of yeah. journalism. The new frontiers of journalism is, I mean, if, if you think about it historically, um, uh, journalists used to write uh, text. Yeah, that was their job, to write text. And of course, somebody, when it was printed, added a photograph and a caption and so on. And it was news that you had to just read. Today, we, because of multimedia and all our devices, uh, the objective, the challenge is to read, to produce news that you can read, watch, and touch. Because we are touching our screens. We're manipulating the content constantly. Right. And we, the web started as a, as a text-based medium, but the web has become a visual medium. By vast uh, percentages, what people really want to consume on digital devices now is moving pictures. Visual elements are very important. And coincidentally, the place for that is no longer YouTube, actually, it's Facebook. <laughs> yes, and in, the, and in the, uh, the vertical rather than horizontal format. Correct. So, so now imagine newsrooms to, to, to remain relevant to larger audiences. You have to produce news that you can read, watch, and touch. And soon, Mike, uh, <laughs> we will have to smell the news. Hmm. And, and so, so there, there'll be new dimensions that through digital we'll be able to offer our readers. And that is the expectation. So. But there's some interesting experiments with virtual reality as well. Like, uh, you know, I think even the New York Times did some things where they tried to immerse you in a particular conflict yeah. zone or the plight yeah, of refugees. All those are good experiments. I, I'm not too but keen. They're not for mass distribution. Though, yeah, I'm not too keen on virtual reality. I, I believe virtual reality is very gimmicky. Hmm. And um, you know, when have you, Mike, seen or anybody listening to us, seen anybody using a virtual reality device? other than at a conference, yeah, where Samsung is pushing. Um, it's another one of these sort of uh, devices that promise digital salvation, you know, before It's even like augmented reality in, in newspapers. I mean, that was going to be the thing we did yeah. all the time. And, and it hasn't happened. So, yeah. so I believe at the end of the day, as you rightly pointed out, uh, it's, it's, it's the basics of a good story, mm. a good text story. And then we use this, this, this 
these other platforms to, to, to diversify the way we tell the story. But the main channel for journalism is still a story, a good story, and a good story, no matter what the device is, still has to be compelling, moving, exciting, provocative. That's what makes good journalism. If you are a, a big organization like the New York Times or the Financial Times, you're in a position to be able to invest in the infrastructure to not only you know, move aggressively into digital, but to successfully charge people for it. Um, but that's, you know, it's not a, it's not a small task. And I mean, the, the, the kind of the expertise to run a data-driven news operation is, is not easily accessible to smaller organizations. Yeah, but that, that is, it's changed completely. But do you think it'll be like a Shopify for news? No, exactly. I mean, the, what's happened in the last few years that is dramatic is that the entire digital world has become incredibly accessible, incredibly accessible because of the economics of it, what drives it. So anybody can now off the shelf buy uh, uh, you know, uh, an e-commerce platform as good as Amazon's, right. off the shelf. So you can just set up on Medium, right? Exactly, anybody off the shelf can get um, um, the, 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 the basic software to do extremely good quality video editing off the shelf. And it's not just off the shelf that you can buy it at a really reasonable rate. It's also extremely intuitive, extremely mm. easy to use because people making those products have understood the UX, a good user experience is the key to your success. So it, it's no longer, oh yeah, for us to do video is so expensive, it's so complicated. That's inexcusable now. It's easy, it's so simple. And, and do you think the model will be the, I mean, in the past, the, the roles were very segregated. Uh, you know, you had uh, journalists and, you know, sub-editors and like there was a whole, there was people that dealt with sound and people did video and it just didn't cross over. Yeah. But this 21st century modern millennial uh, reporter, are they literally having to do all of it? Well, not all of it. I mean, we, you know, we, 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 we like to talk about uh, journalists as being journ analysts. You know, journ analysts. We believe that the quality of journalism will be in journalists being able to do good analytical reporting. Uh, must they be uh, literate on every single uh, medium? Hmm. Uh, media? Uh, no. The answer is no. It's it's impossible to expect somebody to write code, to edit, to design. To be a podcast. Can everything. can they have basic literacy? <clears throat> To get them out of the way, uh, absolutely, absolutely. And as I said, basic literacy that anybody can learn. You know, uh, the, uh, remember, ten years ago, to upload a video on YouTube was a mystery, and we we went to our <laughs> grandkids to figure it out, and it was like, you know, and and today, um, anybody above the age of of 85, I mean, the age it, of 85. It's often a mystery to stop yourself from broadcasting live by mistake on exactly. Facebook. Exactly, <laughs> so it's so easy, so intuitive, it's inexcusable. So, however, we, we do not believe in the, you know, in the, in the, um, in the Dick Van Dyke, Mary Poppins, Brett kind of uh, caricature of the journalist playing the drums, the harmonica, you know, and, right. and, and, and all so that. So you think specialization is still valid? We still believe that specialization right. is valid. We do believe in, in journalists that have an interest in coding. We do believe in journalists that have uh, a basic literacy. And some of them might become bimedia, trimedia, but but that's not the job, the, 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 the objective in running a news operation. Your objective is to find good form and find good journal analysts. So you don't, you don't think that algorithms will be writing most of the news? No. How is an algorithm going to find a story? 
how's an how is an algorithm going to get a quote? I mean, an algorithm doesn't have legs, you know. Uh, I am shocked nowadays as to how people that do interviews with me and they send me interviews via email. You know, it's like answer these email questions. It's like this is not journalism. That's that's desktop journalism, and that desktop mm. journalism doesn't work. And journalists have to get out in the field, develop their sources. That's never going to die. Uh, meeting people face to face, meeting a politician, interviewing him and saying, look, he was telling his editor, I interviewed him, he said all this, but I could see it in his eyes, he was lying to me, left and right, he was fidgeting, he was sweating. Uh, an algorithm can't do that. Um, algorithms would be great to instantly disseminate our content, to tell us how it's being read, how much of it is being read and so on. But no, I mean, it's like, it, it's not a profession that can be supplanted, uh, usurped by a machine. Well, Juan, I'm very glad I decided to not send you an email and to come and see you here in person. <laughs> I've looked you in the eyes and you're definitely yes. not lying. Um, it's wonderful to see you. Thank you very for being on the show. Mike, it's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash between worlds.